Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Decode. Normally, we devote each episode to one key player from the tech and media world. But today, we're doing something a little different. We've gone through our past episodes and collected the best conversations about diversity, which is a huge and ongoing issue in the tech world, and one that I think is extraordinarily important. In this episode, you'll hear a range of differing opinions and stories about diversity and how the tech industry might address it and fix it, if they can. If you're interested in hearing the full interviews that these clips come from, you can find them on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. On one of the first episodes of Recode Decode, I spoke with Slack engineer and former Googler Erica Baker. She angered Google management when she encouraged her coworkers at the search giant to share their salary data with each other. Erica also discussed what it's like to be perceived as the angry black lady in the tech industry and why Silicon Valley isn't more inclusive of people of color. There are definitely problems uh, with recruiting, Mm -hmm. hiring, but there's so much focus on that that nobody really pays attention to retention, Mm -hmm. which is The experience. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of women who just drop out after, I think, what is it, the seven-year mark? Yeah. Yeah, just like, can't do it anymore. Right. Right, and nobody seems to focus on why that is. Right, so they focus on the pipeline. Right. Yeah, I had an interview with Ellen Powell, and she's like, I'm so sick of the pipeline. I am, yeah same yeah. <laughs> like the yeah. pipeline is garbage yeah people should. it's not great but it's not bad there are qualified people and keeping them there is the issue yeah i mean you know they claim they can't hire but um there's some study that said that like four percent of the people coming out of colleges with cs degrees were um minorities mm-hmm. meanwhile there's like you have facebook hiring one right exactly <laughs> so that's not four percent exactly no not yeah. at all so what is the issue around retention? Because first they talk about pipeline and STEM and girls not being interested, which I think is definitely clearly an issue. Right. But what happens when they get in there? What occurs? Is it just that you're unusual and therefore you're judged harshly? It's being different and being unusual and having to like fight against people's expectations of women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to prove that you're good at your job twice, three times just to get the same respect that a guy will get. Mm-hmm. It's lack of promotion. It's lack of acknowledgement that, you know, you're a person. Like, right. there's no empathy, really. Right. No, yeah. it's, it's, what's interesting to me is there's someone said you can't only do one of two things. You can be a woman, you can be black, but you can't be both, for oh, example. yeah. Like, no. you can have one, and even then you're, you're hindered. Oh, yeah. Um, it's interesting that people, when they're talking about diversity and inclusion, they say mm-hmm. women and people of color. Yeah. Right? There's, yeah. This, like, there's this whole section of us that right. overlaps that group. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But people don't talk about that intersection. Diversity has been a recurring theme on Recode's podcasts and in our news coverage. But as former Twitter CEO Dick Costello explained last December, talking about the problem and doing something about it are two totally different things. Um, you know, you guys got smacked around for the board. You did bring on a woman to the board. And I know a lot of people feel like people pay lip service to the issue. But it's a big issue at Twitter. It's a big issue throughout Silicon Valley. How do you... Well, I think when... This is a, such a, I, a lot, we could talk a, about yes. this for such a long time. Yeah. And one of the challenges around it, you just touched on. And one of the things that really, I, w- I would say, to be perfectly frank, bugged me was you would see a lot of men coming in and um, almost patronizing or paying lip service to uh, the importance of diversity without really doing anything about it. That just always kind of bothered me. And it, it bubbles up, you know, whenever there's something in the media about it, when in reality, the hard work is and the real work is in um, developing female leaders inside these companies 
providing women coming into the companies with mentors inside the company, helping them to be better leaders, and then working tirelessly to try to figure out how to eradicate these these unconscious biases I, you know, I that hate exist. That word. Inside, I think they're that? conscious. I think they're conscious. Well, okay. Call, we talked about it. Over Sorry, lunch, calling we talked women. about this. Right. There are both. I mean, this this is again goes to the you say unconscious biases, and then someone jumps on you for saying, "Well, some of them." Well, are conscious. it's only because I agree. No, I I agree with you that some of them are conscious. But I was having a conversation with one of the um, women in my company who was concerned about the way women in the company were evaluated because at a previous job she'd had where she was a manager. Her boss said her communication style was aggressive. Right. And, you know, how many men inside the company get, hey, you have an aggressive communication style. Well, right. let's call, you know, they call that something else, like he's being, you know, a strong leader. And I think those things are important to, mm-hmm. to highlight to people and point out that you're not going to tolerate that kind of right. way of speaking about one gender or another. The trouble is when you look at the data, and I spent a bunch of time doing this at Twitter with a, a few folks in my HR department, your, your first inclination is then to say, well, we should talk about these unconscious biases mm-hmm. then because then people will be cognizant of them. They won't do them mm-hmm. any, anymore. The reality is that you see little impact across companies as to you know whether they talk about unconscious biases and, and make mm-hmm. that, a, hey, we're going to make this a priority or they don't. So, okay, well, if that's not helping, what are other things you can do? And I thought that the thing that was most important to me was that the women coming into the company had mentors inside the company, knew that they could be vocal about um, any issues or, or concerns they had about things that they saw being handled incorrectly, and that the women leaders in the company were really being supported and engaged and, and helped. In March, I spoke with investor Chamath Palihapitiya about why he prefers to invest in companies that are interested in progressive values and inclusivity. He argued that once one of those companies strikes it rich, others will rush to copy their open-mindedness in the hopes of doing the same. Right now, we are, and you know, uh, one of my partners said this, it's, and it's really well said, it's like, we're at a point right now where like, there's a massive capitulation amongst the insider races and classes. And the insiders are getting extremely worried that we are now challenging historical norms in a way that's actually really counterproductive to the folks that are already Most in Most of it's happening on the right, interestingly enough. In politics, it's happening yeah. entirely on the right. Yeah. Um, and so I just think like it's important to acknowledge because I think what it will do is it will create a wave of, um, again, racial and gender equality and – you know, um, Except in politics, that's the opposite of what's happening on the right. It's well, becoming more white, more angry, more. I actually think it, it's it's actually the um, it's the step where you burn the boats. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like Cortez landing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's like he's telling he's telling his team, "Well, we're staying, or or we're going to die. So burn right. the fucking boats." Right, right. And so I think that's actually where we are. So I'm not sure that. So I, I think it's like the last gasp before the establishment basically croaks. Mm-hmm. So. I think that exists in politics. I think that exists in finance. I think that exists in all parts of the economic structures. What's great about Silicon Valley is that you can uproot and turn over those structures so quickly. That's why I think it's a 10-year problem at the maximum. Meaning you believe that we'll become more diverse. Oh, my God. You're going to see so many female startup billionaires, so many uh, you know African-American, Hispanic, Chinese, Indian you know successful people. And in that, they're going to assert – their values on the world. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing thing. You know, you're going to see people start companies and completely endorse, you know, LGBT rights from the outset. 
that's going to be an amazing thing for the world. You're going to pull people into places where they're initially uncomfortable and have to basically come to like a moral decision about what's right and wrong. That's amazing. And you feel like that's going to happen in four or five years. God, I, I wish no, I think No, I think you. the people that are in control of the capital mm-hmm. are going to change at a minimum in four, at a max in ten. And then that happens. And then that happens. The company building will still take years. But what's great is, look, if you get two or three Facebooks, we're only talking about a 12-year problem. Mm-hmm. And it's probably not even 12 because it's getting shorter and shorter. shorter, and shorter. It yeah. may be an eight-year problem, mm-hmm. right? So if we have three or four multi-hundred billion dollar companies get, get created with a completely different set of values. Like, look, Give me an I, example of something. Well, let's just say, like, look, I think Slack is a multi-hundred billion dollar mm-hmm. company. What is it going to say when Slack is just like out there and everybody knows it? And, and you look at the composition of whether it's executives or whether it's a company, it just represents a much more constructive view of the world. Mm-hmm. And then you have Facebook and Apple and Google who then will take it even more seriously than you're taking it now. Mm-hmm. And then every startup's going to take it seriously. Think about like the more superficial things. For example, Google starts to give away massages. Facebook gives away massages. Every company has to give away not just massages but like, you know, free spa days. Yeah. So startups copy what good companies do because they think that it's all contributing to success. Yeah. In this case, what Slack is doing actually does contribute to success. The fucking right. kind bars don't do right. shit. Right. <laughs> right. And so if you can copy the kind bars, you're probably going to want to copy the really important stuff. Like a diverse. Like a diverse workforce, mm-hmm. like, like just a more open-minded philosophical mm-hmm. approach to company building. Mm-hmm. If it turns out, which I think it will, that that actually drives great outcomes, mm-hmm. then all of these young entrepreneurs – and I'm saying this right. almost somewhat cynically – they'll just copy it because they just want to win. One of the challenges around diversity is that it doesn't stop at one person. Most of the time, people talk about how age, race, and gender affect who gets hired. But as Trey Vassallo and Michelle Madansky explained earlier this year, the way women are treated even after they've risen to senior levels in a company can cause them to leave. Vassallo and Madansky shared their statistics from a report about harassment in tech called Elephant in the Valley. Michelle, why don't we start with the data? Uh, sure. Well, I guess first off, we um, wanted to make it really clear that the survey was not just about harassment, but mm-hmm. all sorts of issues. Uh, but to get it out of the way, since this was part of the reason for pulling the survey together, we'll start with uh, some of the sexual harassment numbers. And the way we asked the question was, uh, how many women had experienced unwanted sexual advances in the workplace? Mm-hmm. And it came back that 60% wow. had that experience. Wow. Which That's a big number. Sort of um, kind of fit the anecdotal evidence, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it's pretty shocking. And that can range in just like unwanted comments to and, really and it, serious. It can, although we ask for anecdotes also mm-hmm. just to take the temperature of, you know, what, yeah. what are people actually saying? And, you know, the, some of these anecdotes included things like the first time I traveled with a new CEO, he made an advance. Mm-hmm. I turned him down. After that, I was never asked to travel with him again. Oh. This impacted my ability to do my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were many, many anecdotes like that. So this, so this isn't asking your coworker on a date. Right. You know, these are. Or don't you look pretty today? Yeah, exactly. These are power play situations mm-hmm. where you're turning someone down um, in a sexual way and there's some sort of uh, meaningful impact on your ability to do your job. Right. So go ahead. Next. And then we asked us further on that, you know, is this from a colleague? Is this a client? And this, is this a superior? So we mm-hmm. have a lot of data on this. I'd say the surprising one for me was that 65% of these women said that it was from a superior. Oh. So, you know, it isn't just colleagues, you know, not behaving well. These are 
you know, bosses, people in superior situations doing this um, mm-hmm. to women who they're supposed to be, uh, you know, helping uh, mentor. Okay. So more statistics, please. Okay. So let me just okay. add a, a few more on there. Okay. So we also asked women how they try to resolve these issues mm-hmm. of sexual harassment. Because um, it's always up to a woman to resolve it. <laughs> well, and it's important to say something. Right. And actually what we learned was a, a significant percentage of folks didn't do anything for mm-hmm. a number of reasons. That's not a surprise. Because they wanted to forget, 33% because they wanted to forget. Uh, 33% did not report because they didn't think that reporting would make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, 20% were too embarrassed. And obviously we let people check number uh, sure. multiple boxes, which is why these don't add to 100. 39% did nothing because they thought it would negatively impact their career. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, 13% of those who did report were satisfied with the course of action that was taken. Interesting. So, so it's better to report. Well, but when they do report, only 13% were actually satisfied. Right. With, oh, of all those. Oh, of, when they do report. Of when they do so report. So they didn't get a resolution. And, and so that just, uh, you know, further, you know, emphasizes the fact that when you do report. It doesn't matter. It, it do, you don't really well, get a so satisfying outcome. say that, right? When you don't all kinds of issues in social justice. It mm-hmm. happens all the time. So that it didn't, even though Silicon Valley has put in lots and lots of HR things around this, and it doesn't work. It's still very hard. On his podcast, Recode Media, my colleague Peter Kafka spoke to Silicon Valley writer Dan Lyons, the author of the memoir about working at HubSpot called Disrupted. Dan said he has encountered some form of ageism everywhere from Newsweek to Valleywag to HubSpot, but said few people take age discrimination seriously enough. You mentioned Gawker. You had a brief stay there. I remember when Nick Denton, who runs Gawker, hired you, he made a big show saying, we embrace diversity in all its many facets, including having this very old person work for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kept mentioning your age several times. Look, we have a guy in his 50s working and for us. Isn't that exciting? And he just knocked it out of the park on this thing. And the olds are going to teach the news a few things. And I say, yeah, no, dude. And it's like, okay, I get it. Like That's the other the thing about – it's in the book too – is that ultimately – you end up having to reckon with your mortality and like, holy shit. Like like the woman in that Fortune article said about this startup isn't bad, you're just old. And you realize like, okay, you know what? Yeah, I am. Like that started a while ago. <laughs> M.G. Siegler once wrote a thing. Like, and this was a, back, I was still at Newsweek. Like, you're too old for this shit. Like he hated me. I don't know why. But he, <laughs> oh, I, know, I do know why. But anyway, he hated me. And people play so that now, old Now card. a venture capitalist, so he's obviously – can't Successful. say anything. Can't say anything bad about him. He's a big he, – no, I mean he can't say anything bad about other people. Oh, either, right, I right, guess. right. That is the they problem. They kind of neutered him. But, you know, he, people used to go after Walt the same way. And I remember Kara leaping to his defense once saying, you know, look, how would you like it if someone latched onto your ethnicity or this and that? Like it's the same thing, right? And yet it isn't. People feel like they can just – I don't know. Anyway, it's, 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 I'm coming to terms with it. I have little kids, so I can't really be old, but I, I am, I guess. You know, I'm just – Someone asked me this morning, do you remember when you were 25, what did 50-year-old people look like to you? And I was like, yeah, of course. They look like, you know. Ancient. Ancient. Get I out of when here. I remember when my cool boss turned 40. Mm. Wow. Cool boss is 40, but he's still pretty cool, man. For 40? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, so, I mean, you realize, like, <laughs> there's no way around it. You can hear the full interview with Dan and all of Peter Kafka's excellent podcast episodes on iTunes.com slash Recode Media. Now back to my show. As one of Silicon Valley's few female CEOs, 23andMe Chief Executive Ann Wojcicki gets asked about her gender a lot, but she told us it's not something she thinks about a lot in her day-to-day job. You're one of the few women CEOs of companies. Your sister is another, although she's part of mm-hmm. Google and then part of Alphabet, like whoever, right. whatever that is. <laughs> 
how is it? What is that like? What is that? You know, I know it's an easy question to like, I'm just a CEO, but it's a different situation for women in Silicon Valley, I think. Do you think about that a lot or you don't at all? No, I don't. <laughs> I get the question. You know, I just yeah. spoke at Jackie Spears conference, yeah. Congresswoman Jackie Spears. Yeah. Um, and I always have this saying, like, I wasn't raised to really, like, I always knew I was a woman. I always knew I was a girl. Yeah. I knew there were boys, but it really wasn't until I was on Wall Street when I was sort of pointed at and said like oh but like women normally only do this or like men do this or like different genders are good at different things like I had never crossed my mind and so I'd sort of learned from the Wall Street days like that there's women there's men and then there's assholes Mm -hmm. and you just avoid the assholes so Mm -hmm. like it's when I'm with a group of other people who are CEOs like the the main advantage of being a woman is like I don't have to share the bathroom Mm -hmm. Um, but that there's you know I I find I feel like I, I try to find other people who are incredibly supportive and really helpful, and um, and I'm really lucky. I think that there's a number of mentors who've been like men and women. Um, Such who, as who are you? Oh, Ariana Huffington has been great. Diane mm-hmm. von Furstenberg has been amazing to me. Mm-hmm. I just and even I enjoy interacting with other like even people like Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos, and mm-hmm. um, you know, ironically, some of the partnerships we've done, like we did a partnership with Cell Matrix, and you know that the CEO there is a woman and. There's a number of others. I had a really good group from Wall Street, too, that was women, you know, investing and sort of running their own funds. But that said, there's a a number of men who have been, you know, Bobby Kokodek, people like that who have been just really great supporters and Mm -hmm. enthusiastic about what I'm doing and and give great mentorship. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even um, I was really lucky because my my mom was actually the one who knew Steve Jobs because Mm -hmm. he taught – she knew her, his kids. But so when I would, like, you know, when I had questions about pricing, I could call up him and he would call back right away and give mm-hmm. advice on here's how we think about pricing. Yeah. So the, I think there's actually more of a supportive community out here mm-hmm. than we get credit for. Right. And maybe that's just, uh, maybe I've been lucky in that way. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I do feel like I've, I've found really great what people. Because you, you ask. You ask too. You're very. I, mean, I do you, ask. I don't but want I'm to also say so aggressive for a woman, but you ask. Like you're always. You like you go. You wait in there for sure. But I'm also really quick when there's somebody who's not friendly and not responsive. I'm very quick at leaving. Right. Right. So, okay. I mean, and that goes to the sort of like I try to focus on the support of men and women mm-hmm. who actually really are willing to help. Coming from the world of politics, former Texas State Senator Wendy Davis takes a different approach. She discussed her online initiative, Deeds, Not Words, which hopes to politically mobilize young women and said the only way to defeat inequality online and in the workplace is to talk about it directly. And what's interesting is this election has been about that. It's a really interesting, it's coming to California. The primaries are coming to California very soon. And it's that's sort of been a big issue, largely because of really horrible things. One of the candidates, Republican candidate Donald Trump, has made about women, and it's become a big issue. Let me get your take. You're a big political person. What do you, how do you look at this election? You know, I, I think there's so many layers to this conversation. We could talk about it for hours. <laughs> Um, And we all do. That's one good thing. (laughs) I can just tell you, in my gubernatorial election, I certainly felt the sting of gender inequity. Mm -hmm. And yet, when I was asked by the press, do you feel like you're being treated differently because you're a woman? I answered no. And Mm -hmm. I answered no because I was afraid of coming across as a victim. Mm -hmm. But If I could go back and do it differently, I would, Mm -hmm. because I think part of the power in changing that dynamic is to call it out when Mm -hmm. it's happening. I was watching that very first Republican debate when Megyn Kelly was questioning Donald Trump, and she asked him about some of his former comments about Mm -hmm. Rosie O'Donnell. And not only did he not apologize, but he doubled down on them. And the camera panned the audience. People were laughing and applauding. Women were laughing and applauding. Mm -hmm. 
And I was horrified mm -hmm. as I watched it, thinking that we are part of our own problem, that unless and until we as women say, that's not acceptable. You know, we may disagree about each other's political positions and ideologies, but the idea that we would ever find it acceptable for women to be demeaned as part of the public conversation, I think is something we really need to do a lot of soul searching about. And we need to call it out more because it is almost so acceptable in the conversation that it goes unnoticed when it's happening. Mm -hmm. I watch with fascination what I see happening in the ways that Hillary Clinton has characterized and talked about some of the conversations going on on social media that have so much misogyny behind them. And yet we don't see the same kind of public outcry mm -hmm. and response to that that we would if we inserted race right, instead. Absolutely. Or if we inserted sexual orientation now, mm -hmm. might have been very differently only even three or four years ago, but now mm -hmm. our consciousness has come to a different place there. I talked to Aileen Lee, who founded Cowboy Ventures, about being too quiet as a woman, and also how we shouldn't use the term good guys anymore. One thing I would say, and we talked about this once, is one request I'd have is I really would like us to stop using the phrase good guy. Right, okay, all right. If you pay attention, you'll realize people say, he's such a good guy mm -hmm. so often. Mm -hmm. And there is no female equivalent. Like, what would you say? She's such Badass. a good She's such a good girl. Good girl. No. So no, that's stupid, a bad thing, yeah. Right? Yeah. Or she's yeah. a good woman. Like, what yeah. is that? She's good at bearing children? Like, what, right. what is that? <laughs> um, so... And it happens, like, you know, you're sitting at a, in a boardroom right. with a bunch of guys, and it's a hot company that's thinking about raising their Series A or their Series B. And usually what we do is, like, we make a Google list, a Google Doc with, like, a list of target investors. And someone will be like, oh, I was just with Jimmy Brown last weekend. He's such a good guy. Like, we should put him on the list. And then mm -hmm. somebody will be like, oh, I love that dude. He's such a great guy. <laughs> and then, so you put him on the list. And then someone's like, oh, how about Joe Schmo? Like, oh. Love that dude. All right. And then I'll, and then there's always that, oh, that's I'll bring a up a, I'll bring up a woman, and they'll be like, oh, does she invest in security? Yeah. And it's like a totally different set of questions. Uh -huh. And there's no, she's such a good girl, or right. she's and like so. I would request we say, he's a good human, or she's right. a good human, good right. person, whatever right. you want to say, yeah. good peeps. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of we live, and like this is just a, one example of just tons of like unintentional, like subconscious bias. Eight or ten years ago, if I ever said, like, I remember one time talking to a partner at Kleiner where, like, we had had a meeting or a company present, and afterwards we're kind of, like, getting lunch and talking, and I said, like, hey, what did you think about this? And, like, this kind of seemed like a problem, and, and he was like, why didn't you say that in the meeting? And I was like, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm, like, you know, still a junior partner, and I'm female. He's like, Zip. He's like I don't want to hear it. Like, never, ever talk about being a woman again. Huh. That was like the conversation that yeah. we had. Yeah. And um, now actually, you I think can. we can have that conversation yeah. and yeah. people will listen and hopefully help. Now we're gonna play another clip from Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Back in May, Peter talked to Samantha B, the former Daily Show correspondent who now hosts Full Frontal on TBS. Like the tech industry, the comedy world has had similar struggles with diversity. And Samantha said the answer is to be explicit about who you want to hire. Do you want to keep yeah. having gender discussion? No, Are you it's sick fine. of a gender discussion? I'm not at all sick of it because it doesn't, you know, I, I don't get. I think I'm it's really interesting. It. Again, I was at the taping. Like, mm -hmm. maybe I'm wrong. It seemed like mm -hmm. there was a lot more women behind the stage, sort of on, sort of working with you than you would see if I went to traditional light show. Your showrunner's a woman. Yep. 
your she's incredible your warm up person who's yep. your friend is a woman. There yep. were, it seemed like there was I don't. I was going to say female energy, and I thought, don't say that, and I just said it. So No, you said it, so it's Sorry. real. No, but it's... But it's not a Lilith Fair, right? It's a it's comedy not, show. No, it's a comedy show. Everybody's working, you know, everybody's working at maximum overdrive. How, sure. how conscious are you about having more diversity behind the scenes? We're very conscious of it. We, that is something that we do think about. That's something that we thought about a lot when we were hiring, and we continue to think of it. We think of it, we're trying to build a mentorship program. Like an actual program, not Yeah, just- yeah, yeah, because... We realize that we haven't, it's not like we've solved the diversity problem, but we do need to kind of keep the needle pushing forward. So this is something that, that bedevils traditional late night, John Stewart. It does. Eric Rapport. Mm-hmm. Did, I mean, was that bothersome to you when you were at The Daily Show when it was primarily, I assume, white dudes from Harvard working there? Well, I was the only woman there for an awfully long time. So it was something that I noticed. It didn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't something working, that. woman working on the show, period? Or just on, no, on camera? No, I was the only one on camera right. for the longest time. I mean, really. Eight years, right? Eight years, yeah. something like that. So it didn't bedevil me. It wasn't always at the top of my consciousness. But since. You know, Joe, she's the showrunner since we've been putting this together. It's been important for us to figure out a way to, again, to advance the conversation. Just because, you know, when we started this, we knew the type of show that we wanted to do. And we knew that it would be really ferocious. (laughs) We just knew that it would be very, (laughs) that it would be very visceral because that's what we respond to. That's what we wanted to do. We didn't really know how that would be received by the world. How could you ever know? So we thought, well, if we only have six episodes or 13 episodes, because the original order was 13 episodes, but right. they can always truncate that on you, you know, if it's like a disaster. Just move you right <laughs> you know? to the web. Just move you right to, <laughs> right to retooling. We had no idea, so we thought, well, why don't we just like try everything? Just, get, just do get, everything we do can everything at the beginning, we can do front load it. At the beginning, front load you know, the idea of doing mentorship and, you know, just keep doing that, just keep moving forward. And then if all we have are 13, then we know we tried. We all know that we tried. And so, now we have more than 13, so, so we, we can continue. Just mechanically, how do you go about saying, all right, we, we want a diverse staff. How do you go about doing that? Do you say we want this? J.J. Abrams has said mm-hmm. for his stuff he's doing in, in, in L.A. said, we now want to see this percent Asian. We want we want to at least to look at a, a reflection of people that a cross section that looks like sure. America with actual numbers. Yeah, you have to do more than just putting out a submission packet for people and going like all people apply, please. You you have to make calls. You have to contact people who you know from that community. You have to go, hey, who do you know? Who do you know who knows someone else? Who do you know who knows you someone say, else who think you think would be great or who they think who would be great? Who is a woman who is an African-American? Yeah. yeah. So you're asking specifically you're for that. You're being really specific and reaching into places where maybe no one's ever been asked before. And you're trying to say, hey, tell me all the people you think are great and tell them we want to hear from them. And is there anyone tapping on the shoulder saying, look, I know that's well-intentioned, but there's a, you know, look. It works no. best if we go to the traditional community. If it works best if we well, get we more to, white guys from Harvard. Of course, we went to the traditional community too. I mean, that's just a part of it. You go, you do your regular submission. You do all the agents and stuff yeah. like that, and you hit that territory. But then you have to, you do have to push that further. You do have to push that third. And it's really hard work. Walker and Company CEO Tristan Walker is an experienced techie, having previously worked in places like Twitter, Foursquare, and Andreessen Horowitz. Thanks to both his experiences in the industry and while running a nonprofit called Code 2040, which tries to promote minorities in tech, he said he's frustrated by the concept of culture fit. 
So talk a little bit about staffing and creating a team. Yeah. What is you? You have a staff that's super diverse. Yep, and small. Yeah, and small. How has what's important to do that to be successful? Yeah, because um, it's hard. It's, it's, I don't think it is. I think it's very okay. Easy, Tell actually. me why it's easy. Um, so Foursquare worked, and we got to like 150 employees, and like no one left because we knew who we were, right? Uh, I think the thing this time around that I've realized that I wanted to do from day one is define that and define it for folks that we were recruiting, among other things. So how do we define it? We define it through our values, right, Mm -hmm. of which we have six. And I wrote these values two weeks before we raise any money. It's courage, inspiration, respect, judgment, wellness, and loyalty. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is important because, you know, a lot of our employees, we get a lot of new employees who have to do interviews. And, you know, whenever I hear the word culture fit, Mm -hmm. It irks. Like, it gets it me high, really yeah. mad, specifically because no one ever defines it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I was like, if we're going to do this the right way, let's define it. Let's find folks that share our values, and let's be consistent across the board. So any questions that we ask during interviews are leading questions to get at one's inspiration and courage and judgment and respect. And uh, when we do semi-annual annual reviews, yes, you're rated against your attainment of your goals, but also your adherence to the, the values that we've set at this company. Now, here's why that's important. For folks who talk about like culture fit, it's like, oh, he makes me laugh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But for the values thing, what's interesting is you can still theoretically hire like a jerk, but if that jerk has the same values that you have, then that's mm-hmm. just like a management issue that mm-hmm. you can help like fix. But you can't really like fix someone's judgment. It's just like a fundamental character right. issue. And like if we can't kind of share the same view on judgment, then we just can't rock, right? right. And if you look at our team, yes, we're incredibly diverse. That's not only race, gender, age, all that mm-hmm. stuff. It's personality, among other things. But we all share the same core six values. Now, that also has a function of like the products that we make, mm-hmm. right? Like, are we actually being courageous in our thinking? Like, we don't want to make shampoo to make shampoo. Like, how do we go above and beyond? How are we inspiring our customers? Are we respecting their needs, right? Mm-hmm. Are we being loyal to those needs? Are we taking care of ourselves so that we can come in fresh tomorrow morning mm-hmm. to help them? You know, yeah. it's interesting, though. You said it's easy, but it's not easy. Every one of these companies has the same gender, racial balance. Yeah, because nobody, it starts Why at the top. Why is that? Because it starts at the top. Like, you have to write it down. Mm-hmm. Write it down and mm-hmm. actually enforce it well, in they the say culture. It. They certainly say it. Yeah, but it's bullshit. Yeah. Right? Because if you're not judging folks during their reviews, like, how are you going to check against that behavior? Right. <laughs> right? It's impossible. Do you think Silicon Valley has a diversity problem? I, yeah. How do you solve that? I know it's a big, honking big question, but yeah. you know what I mean? What's the what's the step? And, you know, I, to me... Yeah. I always say that uh, Silicon Valley is a is a meritocracy rather than a meritocracy, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they believe they're a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. They started on third base, and they believe that yeah, they yeah, totally. didn't. Totally right. Um, so I'm ever the optimist. I'm always glass half full. You are I very think, optimistic. I think, um, I think it is very possible. I think it's inevitable, actually. Mm-hmm. And I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think a lot of folks will start to understand this values thing a lot more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the world is getting more diverse. The world's getting more liberal. The world's, it just happens. Uh, and then there's just an inevitability in terms of math, right? In right. uh, 20, 30 years, we're the majority of this country, right? Mm-hmm. The world is majority, kind of Oh, they can hang on. All that stuff, right? <laughs> uh, no, and that, Look at I, this election. I get it. But, but it might not be. So I think when a lot of folks talk about diversity, it should be talked about like and kind of screamed. Mm-hmm. Um, but people want to solve it too quickly. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, so I have a not-for-profit Code 2040, yep. uh, and at Code 2040, you know, we're known for, well known for our fellows program, where we get the highest performing Black Latino engineering undergraduates right. out here, uh, and give them all the tools they need to be incredibly successful. 
We just graduated a class of 90 fellows. We have a 90 plus percent full time off rate. A lot of these folks are saying that they don't exist. That is complete bullshit because mm-hmm. we found them I inside agree. of like six months, right? Like it, but the inevitability in this, like, they're the ones who are going to go and start the companies. Yeah. They're the ones who are going to yeah. hire. They're the ones who are actually going to create these lists yeah. of defined values, among other yeah. things. So that's when I say inevitability, I fundamentally believe yeah, that to just be true. Change. And if folks are complacent, it's like, great. Like, don't hire those folks. Mm-hmm. We will. In July, I spoke to Antonio Garcia Martinez, the ex-entrepreneur who recently published a tell-all about life as a tech worker called Chaos Monkeys. He said that based on his time working at Facebook, he believes the conversation around fixing diversity is often misguided. Well, do you think diversity is an important thing? That oh God, it's going to be fifteen minutes left. In no, 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 no. We weren't going to go, but I'm just I, saying. Do I think? It's, no, I, I mean, depends what you talk about when you mean diversity. Do you mean diversity as it's broadly understood, like ethnic and cultural diversity? Mm-hmm. I worked at Facebook surrounded by people in which I was the only one who spoke English as, an, as a first language and born in the United States. I, mm-hmm. I don't think diversity with a little d is a problem in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. It's diversity with a big D, i.e. what we actually mean by diversity, i.e. certain minorities who have historically been disenfranchised or discriminated against is a problem. I, I don't know. Maybe it is. I think it's a big problem. I, I think it's a big issue that is, I think there's a lot of subtleties there and emotions tend to, run, tend to run really hot. I, I'll, I'll cite one example. Um, someone in, in the team recently shared a photo. It's almost historical. Mid-2011, half the ads team was about 15, 20 people actually, core infra, which is basically literally how the data meets the money at, at like the engine mm-hmm. room of Facebook money machine. And as you'd imagine, it, you know, it was mostly Chinese, Russians, and Indians, right? I was literally the only person born in the US there and the only person who spoke probably English as a first language. And yet, strictly speaking, even though I don't consider myself really that, given my last name, I'd be considered diversity, capital D person, right? Yeah. But by any normal standard of diversity, clearly I don't think there's a diversity problem on that team. And so I think I think one of the sort of misconceptions that when the people attack it, and I, and I see often this in text, right? It's like, oh, there's no diversity, therefore it's run by white males. It's like, I don't think that's actually true, right? It can be run by other people other than white males, even though you're not, you don't have diversity, capital D, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting thing. I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, well, compare, so the other startup book that I sort of admired and modeled was a book called Startup by Jerry Kaplan. Mm-hmm. Um, I that's, remember. Yeah, that's, I think it's really good, actually. And, um, but it's 20 years old. Right. And if you look at the Silicon Valley, he describes that that really was a white male sort of old boys network thing, which I think would be hard to break into. But since then, you know, changes have happened. And, you know, look, the reality is, People of Chinese, Indian, or Persian background run like half of Silicon Valley, right? Mm-hmm. And in that world, it's a little bit hard to claim that, oh, there's diversity is this major problem. Like journalists who say that, I'd love to look at their newsrooms and compare their newsroom I would agree with that. to Facebook I would agree with that. and see who has more diversity I there. Would. And I, I don't think Silicon Valley would be the first on your list of industries that need to change. No, that's true. Again, answer my last question. What Sir, would you change? What would I change? I mean, I, I do think that there is, I, I wouldn't say necessarily call it sexism or racism. I think one can call it that. There's a lot of like meism, right? Like I, I mentioned in the book, in the interview process, for example, uh, there's this notion of cultural fit, right? Mm-hmm. Which is always this. Standards. Right, right. Which, I, I mean, can mean something real because company culture in a company like Facebook does exist. But often, it's just a little loophole for things actually like sexism and racism and mm-hmm. basically like meism, right? Like everyone, and everyone's little tribal story, they're the center of the universe, right? And so if you're some little, you know, affluent white kid from Stanford, like, well, of course, that's the model of what, you know, yeah. our a community should be like and you hire people like that. And then, like, the little loop that you get into that is cultural fit. And so I think some way to actually screen for cultural fit or maybe actually just create it. So Facebook had this, what was literally called boot camp, right? And if you think about it, it's like, you know, the army or the Marines, right, takes in whoever and and makes out of it a fighting force. So instead of maybe trying to find this magical cultural fit that you think other people have, maybe you actually have a strong enough culture that you actually mold people into that rather than actually screen. I'd like to see them, you know, on a boot camp. That would be interesting. Yeah, exactly. Well, that would would be amazing. That's a fascinating idea. I actually like that. On a recent episode of Recode Decode, Quip CEO Brett Taylor said learning from failure is an important skill for entrepreneurs. 
but he said there's one mistake that's hard to bounce back from, and that's hiring too homogeneously. There's no excuse why there's diversity issues in Silicon Valley, and they haven't found a way to solve it, but it, it's it's wrong. You're right. It's just wrong. Is it because you all, and I'm, I'm not saying you're the white guy yeah. here in the room, but you are. Like, yeah, no, I am. Like, yeah. you don't get abused as much. You don't get, you know, I mean, you're not subject to some of the things, and so it's hard to even believe when people complain about well, it. Well, um, on the abuse issue, or mm-hmm. you're talking about both? Yeah. Or, yeah, so I, I think do they're think... they're so linked. I, I they, oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have said it, but I, I need to think about that more. But like on the diversity issue, a lot of these things are sort of self-fulfilling. So if you don't source aggressively enough early in your company's life cycle and you end up with an, a team that is not diverse, it's harder to fix that issue later because you don't want to be the only person from your your minority, you know, social group mm-hmm. at a company because then you're you encounter Hello. all the the problems that uh, you know everyone who's a, in a less represented group understands and. And so really you have to be assertive from day one. And if you're not, turning that around is even harder. You have to work way harder on sourcing. You have to work way harder on sort of like fixing the cultural issues that manifested themselves because you weren't diverse. And I just think companies aren't trying hard enough. And I, I agree with the criticism. Well, I think they just feel like they it's not their fault and they're trying. And that's it, not good enough. Trying know? is not good enough. Yeah. You need to, I mean... It's like you wouldn't have an earnings call and say, we tried really hard, yeah. but like the earnings just didn't come through. That's Yahoo. And, uh, <laughs> you see what happened there. <laughs> and so I, I think the criticism they is completely try, correct on this issue. And um, it is harder because it is a um, self-fulfilling prophecy. You do have to find the right candidates. It's yeah. harder to find qualified candidates, but you right. have to try harder on that part of the pipeline if you actually want to achieve the end goal that you have to actually have your employee base represent the population. And uh, I don't think we as an industry have actually treated it with like that level of accountability and we should. We started this episode with a clip from Erica Baker talking about the so-called pipeline problem, which she rejects. We'll conclude this show with a clip from my interview with TaskRabbit CEO Stacey Brown Philpot, one of the few African-American women CEOs who takes the opposite approach. She explained how she's trying to engage with the idea of a tech pipeline to get more people of color into tech. I don't think about my gender. Mm -hmm. I think about the combination of Mm -hmm. being a black woman. Yeah. And it's really hard for me to separate the two. Who else is a black woman? Ursula? There's a friend of mine named Shelly Archambault who's Mm -hmm. at Metric Stream. She's Mm -hmm. an enterprise software company. And if you're thinking people call her in CEO Pepsi? Yes. Um, But not a lot. Not a lot. Not a lot. Why is that? It's just, I, I don't know. I mean, I really think that there hasn't been enough role models mm-hmm. for CEOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when I went to India and I showed up and it was, uh, Ursula had just been named CEO mm-hmm. and no one had a model. This for, is of Xerox. Of Xerox, right. And no one had a model of black women running the office for Google. Right. And so some came, woman came up to me and said, so are you like Ursula? <laughs> because that was their model. Right. And I, it right. occurred to me that there was no other model for thinking about it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for me to become CEO, I now get to be a model for right. what other people can aspire to and what they do. You want to be a model? To. Now you have to be or do you want to be or I want to be mm-hmm. and I have to be. Right. It's it's my responsibility mm-hmm. and I own it. Right. So what is that like? What does that mean for you when you're doing that? It just means that I make time to talk to people. Mm-hmm. I Every time I think about something that I'm doing and a decision that I'm making, I think about 
the impact that it'll have on the community. Mm-hmm. I embrace involving myself in the community so that people can see those models. Mm-hmm. And, you know, quite frankly, it means I sleep a little bit less and mm-hmm. maybe spend a little bit less time with my family. But it's important for me to, to fill that role. Why do you feel like there aren't as many? I know you say, I don't know, but you've got mm-hmm. to have thought about this. I've thought about it. We've all thought about it. What happens that there's very few women, very few people of color in tech, Google tried very hard to make it a more diverse, but I know they went to great lengths, not very successfully. Yeah. Um, what is the problem from your perspective? And there's lots of problems. I know it's a complex yeah. issue. I think there's two ways to look at it. The first is, does the culture of the company embrace the diversity? Mm-hmm. And, and embrace meaning, are we a place that people feel welcome and they can bring their whole selves to work? Mm-hmm. And when they're there, are we doing what's required to retain the people who are there? Mm-hmm. And... I don't know that that has been thought about carefully enough. Um, It's something that I think about every day. Are are we doing that? When you say not thought about carefully, what are the mistakes that are made? You know, one of the things that I struggled with early on in my career was joining a company where it's built on referrals Mm -hmm. and the idea of hiring people based on your own network, if you actually don't have a diverse network, right. then you're less likely to hire people yeah. who are diverse. No, no it's the, it's And the, it's much easier when you're growing very fast and just you to need grab, grab, to grab. just grab people. And that's, it needs to be an intentional kind of stated objective. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is just around the pipeline. Mm-hmm. You know, I have been the only for most of my career, mm-hmm. you know, I walk into a room and there's the only, one black yeah. woman mm-hmm. um, or two black women. And there just aren't that many because the pipeline of talent just isn't there. And I know we overuse that word. Yeah, we like do. We just bit. need to build the pipeline. But the fact of the matter is when I go home to Detroit, there are people who don't know that they can become the CEO of a tech company. Mm-hmm. And someone needs to invest in building that pipeline. Mm-hmm. But do you imagine that it's maybe made invisible? Because there's like a new movie coming out, all these black women mathematicians who were very critical to the uh, space race. Mm-hmm. You know, just coming out. I know Megan's talked about Katherine Johnson and yes. others. Invisible. Critical. Matt, I think you bring up a third piece that I hadn't thought about mm-hmm. until you just said that mm-hmm. is the role of media mm-hmm. in highlighting who these people are, telling their stories, sharing their story, and making those stories more mm-hmm. public. I've mm-hmm. never been in media, so I can't mm-hmm. comment on the success or failure of that. But you know, being able to talk about those stories is really important. When I was in high school, we talked about black history a lot, but 98% mm-hmm. of the people in my school were black, mm-hmm. for example. Right. That doesn't happen everywhere. Right. right. So I would say at TaskRabbit, in our company, it's less about the role of media and the, what role do we play in sharing and talking about the diversity in mm-hmm. our company mm-hmm. and making people feel welcome. Yeah. What, what do companies, what can they do better to encourage difference? Because here, still, San Francisco is supposed to be that, right? Everyone can be different, but they really can't. You know what I mean? It's a really interesting thing. And it's, uh, you know, and they use the word unconscious bias, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's conscious. I keep arguing that it is. I know there's scientific studies that people don't mean it, but I think there's ways to not mean it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it sort of get, it sort of lets people off the hook, well-meaning people. It's often well-meaning people who don't, on the surface, have racial issues. Like, you're not seeing, like, Trump supporters when you see some of the vile stuff that comes out of their mouth. That's very clear what it is. But here, it's a little harder to stop. Because yeah. it's the same result. It's the same result. Um, I think unconscious bias training is a good thing. We okay. did it at our company, and it was a request that came from somebody on the team. Mm-hmm. And after we had the session, every single person, regardless of color in mm-hmm. the company, had a new 
awakening. They had sort of a different lens on how they saw each other mm-hmm. and other people. So I would recommend that. I would mm-hmm. recommend it. And, you know, I also think that just being willing to, to talk to somebody who's very different from you mm-hmm. and learn about who they are as a person. And that is really, really, really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And I challenged my company, people in my company, TaskRabbit, to do that. Mm-hmm. And try to see me for who I am. Try mm-hmm. to see all of my differences and appreciate all of my differences. And it's a for, it would be a forced dialogue, but mm-hmm. we have to force ourselves to yeah. have and that CEOs dialogue don't do that. and not pretend like these things are okay mm-hmm. or that you know we're just trying to have a conversation. Thanks for listening to this special bonus episode of Recode Decode. Don't forget to check out the full interviews that these clips come from on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also find full write-ups of our podcasts, Recode Decode, Recode Media, and Too Embarrassed to Ask on our website, recode.net slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. I'll be back with a new Recode Decode interview at our usual time on Monday. Tune in then. <laughs>